God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, so we had the Supreme Court hearing yesterday uh, based on the issue of abortion. And there was some very interesting uh, Q&A. It seems like Seldomayor is afraid uh, that the court will never recover from uh, the politicization of reversing Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was never settled. Uh, it was never a full decision. It was never settled. Um, and it's about time we actually get to the bottom of it. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see where the country is with respect to this. But, you know, SCOTUS is not Congress. And we can't expect it. You know, they, they just need to adhere to the Constitution. And if they would do that, just like the uh, one of the litigators uh, had suggested, uh, they wouldn't have to worry about political pressures or political reco- recovering from a political uh, uh, bent. And so uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to some of these clips. I, I really thought that this Sotomayor clip was actually quite good. Um, the person who posted these uh, really great clips, I, I retweeted them on my Twitter feed, um, works for Slate. So he's a probably a liberally bent journalist, but he says here, Sotomayor says the sponsors of Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban said we're doing it because we have new, new justices. She asks, will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. Now, this is what happens when you get a radical, liberal, liberal and activist justice on the Supreme Court bench, that that would be your first concern, that somehow because of the types of judges, you're not going to 
do the right thing or politically uh, for political expedience, we may not recover from this period where there's a conservative bench. And and the fact is, is that this is where we get into trouble with the activist progressive judges is that they are looking at the Constitution as a living document and constantly massaging it like a putty, like Plato, and making it bend to uh, reflect the interpretations of the day. And that's, a, that's, that's something that Congress can do. And that's something that Congress probably should do. But that's not something that SCOTUS should do, the Supreme Court of the United States. And so that's why I've always been a, a big fan of um, basically uh, people that look at the uh, originalists, they call them. People that look at the original document and apply it to current day uh, decision making. But with the principles still intact. And the originalists look at the Constitution as a dead document, a dead document. It sounds negative, but a dead document that never changes. You know, when we start erasing the blueprint on the map and uh, re- rewriting the, uh, rewriting the uh, map, it, it becomes uh, useless after a while. It's no longer an effective map. We have a roadmap for success. It's called the Constitution. And no matter how much people like Barack Hussein or Joe Biden don't like it because it puts them in a box and it foils their plans to, to deliver uh, uh, executive orders that are not passed through by Congress, sort of like the uh, mandates that were being rolled out there, bypassing Congress so that the representatives of the people never held accountable for the actions. But we need to start holding these Democrats accountable for what's being done in in the White House. And until we start to do that, uh, you know, it's just an, it's just going to, uh, promote the practice of executive orders and memorandas and basically running the country by executive fiat, which is something that you know a tyrannical government or a king would do, but not elected officials, a member of a republic uh, that's federalist in nature where the power goes back to the states, which is actually another issue that's uh, related to this Supreme Court uh, hearing is whether or not this is a state's issue. And frankly, uh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump is actually, uh, uh, well, actually, we could take a listen to what he has to say here before we get into these, uh, these tapes. So let's take a listen, actually, because he's on live right now. Let's take a listen to this. Uh, We're going to borrow some feed from Fox and Friends. Let's see what we can do here. Um, So he's getting his introduction, and we're going to go ahead and take it from here. He got elected. He tried to claim that he did it, but he forgot that he got a shot into my bed when you look at what's happening. But Jen Psaki about... 
The debate with you that 220,000 Americans had died on your watch, you should not be president of the United States. Now more people have actually died. 770,000. During the Joe Biden administration. Well, he's done a terrible job, just like he did with the uh, uh, H1N1. He, he's done just a absolutely terrible job uh, getting it out and getting people to take it. I mean, people just don't want to take it. And the vaccines have been, you know, I have to be very proud of the vaccines. We did it in less than nine months. People said it was going to take five years to 12 years and probably wouldn't work. They work incredibly well. Some people don't want to take them, and that's their freedom, and that's what we have to do. But people don't want to take them because they don't trust Biden. They don't trust the administration. We had none of that. Everybody was fighting to take them, and we were doing great. We were doing really great on distribution. We also bought billions of dollars worth before we knew it was right. going to be successful, which saved us one year. So many things we did right. And what they're doing is very sad when you look at what's happening. But more people died during this year than last year by a very substantial margin. And sadly, this year is not up. Well, Mr. President, why wouldn't people trust the vaccines they were developed during your administration? Well, a couple of things. Number one, they did a pause on Johnson & Johnson, which really set shocks through. Over six people that didn't die, by the way. But six people, and for that, millions and millions of shots given. And they did the pause with Johnson & Johnson. That was very bad. Uh, and they just haven't been able to sell it. People are not, they are not trusting this administration. And if you remember, when uh, during the debate, I think she said, and he said, oh, if it's Trump, I won't take the vaccine. I won't take the vaccine. And then as soon as he got elected, he tried to claim that he did it, but he forgot that he got a shot into my, during my administration, he got a shot. But there was just a great distrust of what they were saying and what they were doing. And I think that's the problem. And that's why they're trying to set up mandates and really hurting things with the economy with the mandates, well, in addition to other things. Well, Fauci kept changing what we were supposed to be doing. And then when you look at Afghanistan, you talk to military families and they say, we don't trust this administration. We put our kids' lives in the president's hands and look what he did. He pulled out and left so many Americans behind enemy lines. Many of them are still there. When you look at the border, people don't trust what he's doing down there because you'll hear Dr. Fauci saying, you need to wear your mask, you need to get vaccinated vaccinated, but yet they're letting so many people flow over the southern border. And Peter Ducey, he had a busy day yesterday. He was also at the press conference with Dr. Fauci, and he pressed him on that issue. Listen to this, Mr. President. Dr. Fauci, as you advised the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, does that include everybody? The answer is yes, and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. Well, what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? Yeah, no, but that's a different issue. If you don't have the capability, as you know, of somebody getting on a plane, getting checked, looking at a passport. We don't have that there. Is there something to do to test these people somewhere else? There, no, there, there, is, there is testing at the border under certain circumstances, as you know. Yeah, but not by the federal right. government. Mr. President, your reaction? It is a disaster. We have millions of people flowing across. And we're not only talking about the China virus or COVID, whatever you want to call it. We're talking about many other diseases coming over the border that are far worse coming over the border. And 
nobody is being tested. Nobody is being checked. Prisons of other countries are being dumped into our country. We're like a dumping ground. There's never been. We are the strongest border in the history of our country. The wall was largely built. It could have been finished in three weeks. And they decided not to finish the openings. It's just some openings. We did an incredible job. 500 miles of wall. And this is why that, that coupled with other things, gave us the greatest numbers we've ever had, the most successful it's ever been. We take people in, but we take them in legally. Now, one other thing that's pouring in right now that nobody even mentioned are drugs. Drugs are coming in at a rate of seven times greater than when I was doing it, and our numbers were going way down. We were having the lowest drug numbers. And if you look at the numbers of people that are coming in now, we're millions and millions of people every couple of months. We're looking at 12, 13, 14, maybe even right. 15 million people a year. And none of those people are tested. So it seems to me that the Remain in Mexico program that was widely ridiculed by the current president of the United States, now according to the courts, has to be re-implemented and officially goes back into production. Remain in Mexico starts again. But the your policy. Your policy is back in, I think, starting today. What's your reaction to that? Well, they should have never ended it. If Joe Biden would have come in and just gone to the beach... He would have been successful in many ways because all of this stuff, my, the border was the best it ever was and getting better. Drugs coming in was getting at a level that we've never seen before. But is there a sense of gratification, Mr. President? Is there, a sense of grat the is there a sense of gratification for you personally that a policy that he ridiculed, the courts are making him put back in? No, because I want to see good for the country, Brian. It's so important to me. I want to see good for the country. There's no gratification. What they're doing is destroying our country. Our country is being destroyed before your very eyes. And I've never seen anything like it. The withdrawal from Afghanistan, you know, I got us there. The two, we were down to 2,500 troops. The Taliban respected us. Abdul, I dealt with them a lot. He respected us. We were going to take the people out. We were going to take some Afghans out. We were going to take our equipment out. We left $85 billion worth of equipment. It's unthinkable. And they had a parade last week showing off all the equipment they took. It was like a surrender. There's never been a lower point in the history of our country. And don't think that China and Russia and North Korea and Iran weren't watching, because that was the greatest embarrassment in the history of our country, in my opinion. Uh, if you're just joining almost us, everybody's opinion. If you're just joining us, uh, we're speaking to Donald Trump, former president of the United States, about news of the day. We're going to talk about his uh, new book that comes out in a couple of days in a moment. Uh, Mr. President, uh, we all know that there's a supply chain bottleneck. Um, and Joe Biden yesterday essentially said, doesn't matter if you're naughty or nice this year, there are going to be problems. But he did say one person and only one person can promise whether or not you're going to get your stuff. Listen to this. If you watch the news recently, you might think the shelves in all our stores are empty across the country. That uh, parents won't Santa. be able to get presents for their children on holidays this holiday season. But here's the deal. For the vast majority of the country, that's not what's happening. I've also spoken with the CEOs of UPS and FedEx which are on track to deliver more packages than ever. Now, I can't promise that every person will get every gift they want on time. Only Santa Claus can keep that promise. 
Okay, so he makes a, a joke out of it at the end, but it's a real crisis. If you were president of the United States, and, and clearly the administration did not plan adequately uh, as the demand returned after COVID and the pandemic, and you know we're, we're creeping back toward normalcy, a norm, normal times. Um, but Mr. President, what would you do to fix the supply chain crisis? Well, first of all, it would have never happened. Nobody ever mentioned those words, supply chains. They would never brought up. We, we had perfect supply chains. We had an economy that was going like we had the greatest economy in history. We then had the China virus. We fixed it. We did a great job with it. And with between not only that, the ventilators, all of the different things that that we did, getting stocking up, you know, all of the states, which, by the way, all of the cupboards were bare. And that includes the United States government. There was nothing there. We did a hell of a job. We've got no credit for it, but maybe someday we will. But we would have never had a supply chain problem. But one of the causes is the mandates, because a lot of people aren't working because of forced mandates. That's one of the very big causes. Another thing that's going to be a big problem, and it's a problem like nobody's seen before. You know, we were energy independent. We didn't need ships all over the place uh, clogging up the waters coming in from Saudi Arabia, Russia, and other places. We were the biggest in the world. We went to the biggest in the world. Within one year, we would have been bigger than Saudi Arabia and Russia combined with real energy. And it's called liquid gold under our feet. We have an advantage that other countries like China don't have. So many different things. But the mandates had a lot to do with the supply chain problem. Something that's also frustrating for Americans is the amount of crime that has gone up in our country and the way that our men and women in blue are being treated. The Fraternal Order of Police, they have had enough. They tweeted this out yesterday. They said enough is enough. More officers have been shot and killed this year than any other year. And there is one more month left. 314 officers shot, 58 officers killed by gunfire, ambush attacks on officers up 126% from 2020. Pray for America's law enforcement. Mr. President, this doesn't include the Utah officer that was killed that we're all praying for and and another uh, officer that was that um, was shot and is uh, is trying to recover right now what is your reaction to that that tweet well when you look at san francisco and you look at a hundred kids or people running into a store together and the cops are standing out there not allowed to do their job they're not allowed to do their job and you allow a thing like that to happen we have a country that has no law enforcement, has no law and order. Our police are great. They're not allowed to do their job. And they're now being hit. People aren't even afraid. They go and shoot police. They don't respect them. The people of our country love our police, and they do respect them. But they're not allowed to do their job. If you allowed them to right. do their job, that would stop and crime would stop. But they're not allowed. You look at what's going on in New York. You look at what's going on in Chicago. And look at what's happening in San Francisco, and it's happening in many other cities right. that they don't want to report about. You know, the media, outside of you people and a few others, the media isn't reporting this problem. But where you have hordes of people running in, kids mostly, running in and stealing, right. robbing stores where drug chains are closing all their stores in different cities because they can't keep them open. The, we, we just don't have law enforcement. We're not allowed to have law enforcement our country 
I'll tell you what, our country is being destroyed. It should never right. be allowed to happen. The police have to be given their power back. They have to stop the crime. They can do it and they want to do it, but they're not allowed to do it. Uh, Mr. President, you referenced this a little bit earlier, and that's China. Uh, we know that they launched this virus intention, uh, unintentionally, perhaps. Who knows? They won't tell us. Uh, this killed 750,000 Americans and uh, millions around the globe. Uh, we know they just disappeared their leading tennis player because she accused a former official of sexual assault. The WTA is pulling out all the tournaments there. There's a growing push to boycott the China Olympics, who, by the way, also have rounded up their Muslims into concentration camps and are uh, torturing them as well as harvesting their organs while doing the overfights in Taiwan, threatening their neighbors. Is this the time to say we're not going to go to the Olympics, the Winter Olympics? And, and by the way, before I answer that, none of this happened with us. They didn't send bombers over the middle of Taiwan. He knew not to do that. Had a very good relationship with President Xi. He knew very well you can't send bombers over Taiwan. None of that stuff happened. And they'll wait till after the Olympics and they'll do something with Taiwan now. They no longer respect us. They watched Afghanistan. They watched our generals not knowing what they were doing. They saw all of that and they're watching very closely. They'll be doing things. Russia will be doing things. And maybe even North Korea will be doing things because they're watching our country. We are psychologically weak. We built the military. I built a great military. We had jet fighters that were 40 and 50 years old. We have new everything. We're, we're in such great shape. But you still have to have the brain power to know how to use it. And they watch that withdrawal. And they think, and by the way, the withdrawal, get out. 21 years, but you get out with dignity and strength. And we were going to get out with dignity and strength. What they did, these countries see that. And I'll tell you what, we're in a much different position. With right. that being said, you hurt the athletes, you hurt a lot of people. I would not do it. Jimmy Carter tried it. It didn't work. I wouldn't do it. That's not the problem. By the way, one other thing. I took in billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in taxes and tariffs from China. We never got 10 cents for 40 years. They never paid us anything. Hundreds of billions of dollars. And businesses were starting to come back to us. China respected our country. Russia respected our country. I stopped the pipeline going to Europe. Biden approved it. But, of course, he stopped the Keystone pipeline mm -hmm. in our country, which and others right. he's trying to stop. Now, we have a group of people. I don't know if it's Biden. It might not be. But we have a group of people that are destroying our country and perhaps knowingly destroying our country. But he doesn't want us to rely on fossil fuels. Do you think he's doing this on purpose so that we buy electric cars? So fossil fuels are our strength. It's our advantage. And it also can fire up those big factories and those big plants. Right. You look at what they're doing to our landscape. They're destroying our landscape, our birds. They're destroying with wind. And by the way, those turbines are all made in Germany and they're made in China. Yeah, I know. Okay. And, and if you talk about emissions, the making of those turbines, if you really go with the emissions theory, the making is so onerous to the environment that nothing they can do will ever save anything. You know, and as far as cars, in order to make the batteries of those cars, it, it's right. the, the electric cars. And now you're not going to have a choice because they want to go all electric. But doing that is going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. 
They don't want to go that way. They're taking our greatest asset under, it's right under our feet. We are blessed as a country with tremendous energy reserves under our feet, and they don't want us to use them. Mr. President, you uh, were on social media, and you said a lot of people were saying you got to cool it on social media. You said, well, that's the reason I got elected. Now that you're off social media, uh, even despite January 6th and the investigation, everything that happened since, the impeachment that followed, your ratings, according to some friendly polling for you, are higher than they've been. Did you overrate the impact of social media? And in retrospect, do you, will you need it if you want to run again? I think that people are seeing the great job that we did. You know, again, we had the greatest economy in the history of our country. We rebuilt our military. We had great military support. You look at the Hispanic no, support we've had. We had the best Hispanic support. I just think that people are missing us. But, but what about really social media, Mr. President? But what about social media? Nice. Did it hurt you more than help you? And now that you're off it and, you're, and you see that nothing's really changed with your numbers except actually going up? Do you think that you'd have a, you overemphasize social media? It is strange because my numbers now are the best they've ever been. I think that's because maybe they look at the opponent and they look at what's happening to our country. Uh, I look, I think social media is important. I think we have some very bad people. I think a lot of illegal things were done with social media. You understand where they can do 417 million. You know, if you spend more than $5,600, they put you in jail. And yet here's the guy spent $417 million and nothing happens to him. Oh, on the election. So I think social media, I think social media is fine if it's used properly. And I think we're going to have a platform that's going to be incredible. And that's what's being developed right now. Will you change your approach? You know, I, I really, it's such an interesting question. Yeah. I had to move fast. Our country was in bad shape. I had to move fast. Some of the niceties, you know, like let's sit down and let's talk very calm. I had to get things going fast. China was ripping us off. $500 billion a year. Europe, they sound nice, but they rip us. They're almost as bad as China. We made a new deal with Mexico. We made a new deal with Canada. We made a new deal with Japan. We were doing a lot of things, and you had to move fast. And sometimes in order to do that, you can't go. I can be as nice as anybody. I think I'm a nice person, but we had to move quickly. And sometimes uh, you have to break the eggs a little bit to make an omelet. Um, okay, so uh, Mr. President, during your four years as President of the United States, you had at least one or two uh, official White House photographers with you at every event. Every time you were out in public, they were snapping pictures. There are millions of images uh, in the vault. So, and, uh, obviously, we're going to go ahead and uh, he's going to talk about his book. And there are a lot of wonderful photos in this new book uh, that he's going to be uh, selling like hotcakes and he i think he might even be self-promoting it in terms of uh publishing it uh so we'll see <laughs> you know a lot of these former presidents um and first ladies get these 65 million dollar upfront uh payouts and it's a gift it's a donation uh and i i don't see president trump getting that upfront gift because all all of these publishing houses and all of the media seems to be run by the left wing, the radical left wing. Is there any difference, really?
between the left wing and the radical left wing. So that was Donald Trump. It was actually kind of uh, interesting to hear all that. Uh, what we wanted to do also, I, I was wondering if we would, that was a live feed. Uh, I was wondering if we, we would hear um, what Sotomayor had to say and then get his reaction to that. But what we're going to do is, uh, you know, it was funny, though, that they played uh, Peter Ducey's clip. We're going to go ahead and play that clip really quick again. I know we heard it once, but I already had that queued up to play. Let's go ahead and play that clip real quick. It's Peter Ducey asking Fauci about what about the border crossers. Dr. Fauci, as you advise the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, does that include everybody? The answer is yes, because you know that the new, uh, uh, the new uh, uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. But well, what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? You know, that's a different issue. For example, when you talk, we still have Title 42 with regard to protection at the border. So there are protections at the border that you don't have the capability, as you know, of somebody getting on a plane, getting checked, looking at a passport. We don't have that there, but we can get some degree of mitigation. Is there something to Dr. Fauci, as you advise the president about the possibility of new tests. Okay, so that just looped. But yeah, so he, he one thing we didn't hear in the other clip was citing Section 42. But Section 42 requires a lot of compliance, and uh, we're never going to get that. So that's pie in the sky. That's a pie in the sky answer. So once again, there, I don't take them serious. Uh, with regard to travel bans and anything of the kind, mask wearing, vaccine mandates, so long as they have an open border policy. And we know that that's what that is. Mayorkas and Joe Biden, Mayorkas is the uh, Homeland Security uh, Director. In 2015, Joe Biden was aspiring to change the demographics, almost like gerrymandering the demographics for political expedience. In 2015, he was talking about this. And this was back in the day when they were trying to pass dreamer, dreamers and they were murdering Justice Scalia and, and uh, they were trying to install Merrick Garland and so on and so forth. Let's just put it in perspective. And they were trying to basically undo the halt that Justice Hannon from uh, Texas and uh, and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals was blockading, which said you can't go forward with this. And even Obama knew that, you know, creating amnesty for millions of so-called dreamers was unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. It's an act of Congress that needs to be doing stuff like that. So... Mayorkas at the time was sitting arm in arm with Biden. They're old cronies built on the same philosophy uh, that's radical of open borders and doing away with uh, ICE and the whole ball of wax. Yet, like every other democratic policy, they, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They say one thing and do another because they know that what they're doing is 
not something that the American people want. How would you like to be a member of a party where your whole philosophy is that you're doing things because the people you're serving don't really know better, that they're not smart enough to know what's right or wrong for them? And <laughs> to me, I think that's just a, that, that way of thinking is so disgusting and insulting and arrogant and the people that support the Democrat Party that you know, that live in your community, need to be woken up and, and realize that they are supporting this type of nonsense. And so that's the reason why it is that we call them out and we fight so hard to you know, put this information out there. You know, someone asked me um, uh, about Magapac and Bugle Call, and they said, wrote in and they said, where are your key points? We actually have a list of our agenda, basically to support America First policies uh, to make America great again. We're not, as a 501c3, we're not allowed to support any one particular candidate. We're not allowed. It's uh, We would lose our certification. But what we can do is we can do what we're doing every day as the chairman and executive director of these nonprofit organizations to where we have a great board, you know, we got to get this information out. And the people that we've either had on uh, the uh, radio program or the good work we're doing with the network in general and all the information that we're disseminating is all part of swaying the political landscape to expose the truth with regard to the Democrat agenda because it's a game of smoke and mirrors and people need to be uh, exposed and people on the right need to uh, see as clearly as they can what's actually going on and also to empower the conservative voice to properly debate with their Democrat counterparts in their own communities, because it's important that we try to win these debates at the local level. And um, by local level, I'm not talking about an organized local level. I'm talking about sitting at a bar and having a conversation, but keeping it civil and just making sense out of your arguments. And, you know, that's why it frustrates me so much that we have infiltrators like the Lynn Woods and the Patrick Burns and, you know, the the whole group of bandits that we've come to know. And we, we, we need to realize these are lifelong Democrats, most of them. You look at their, you know, political persuasion, yet we've allowed them to stand at the top of the podium and represent our voice. And I think that their agenda is to embarrass us and discredit us to where when we sit down and have an honest discussion, you know, I can't tell you how many times I sit down and have started debate regarding Trump and regarding the America First policies. And the first thing that's brought up is J6. And I'm like, yeah, we don't even know. They bring that up because it's not even fully understood yet. But I will tell you this, Julie Kelly, who's been on the forefront of this whole thing, 
Julie Kelly uh, wrote something uh, recently, and she said, basically, stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of new information coming out. And she has been writing about this for quite some time now. I want to read to you a couple of these tweets, then we're going to get into the Supreme Court uh, situation. But I'm looking for the Julie Kelly. uh, Right here it is, okay? Julie Kelly wrote this. This is actually quite, quite, uh, I think, powerful. Because when Julie Kelly talks about J6, that's all she's been doing. She writes over at America Greatness. And she has been all over this case. And she said, buckle up, everyone. In just a few months, the entire narrative of January 6th will collapse amid the release of secret surveillance video, FBI interviews, documents, and the Fed's most bogus charge, obstruction of an official proceeding. You heard it here first. And she said over the next few months, over the next few months, the entire narrative of J6 will collapse amid the release of secret surveillance video, FBI interviews, documents, and the Fed's most bogus charge, obstruction of an official proceeding. So there you have it. I think it's really powerful and important. Catturd writes, it's a miracle a new variant was named less than a week ago. They apparently already have a test for it worldwide, and all the leaders are saying the current vaccine and boosters will work on it. They some That's some world-class speed science right there. So how is it that they are already have all this stuff rolled out all around the world and in California to boot? How is it that they're this prepared when they just found out about it? Because the fix, it's all a ruse. It's all a ruse, folks. It's such a ruse. So, by the way, the new Twitter policy, uh, the question was asked about the new Twitter policy. And the Twitter policy, you know, they, they have this new leader. And he's less free speech than Jack Dorsey. And the question was asked, was all of this rolled out to protect Hunter Biden? I mean, that is, a, that, that is an excellent question. Because when you read the bylaws of this, you're almost like, is it, is it just me? But the Bradford file wrote this. Is it just me or did Twitter change its rules to protect the crack-smoking son of the president? I think, that, I think it is. Because when you read the, the uh, policy changes, this policy is not applicable to, me, to media featuring public figures. Or individual. So it's designed to protect the individual or a public figure. So what they're going to try to do is deem Hunter Biden a non-public figure, as an, deem him as an individual. So it's being looked into. That's all I can tell you. It's, uh, I think it is sort of like a game that's being played. We're going to go into a few of these tweets, get, get through these because there's some that are really good. And then we're going to get to Sotomayor and a little bit of the Supreme Court justices' excerpts. And we're going to try to do it as fast as we can, because we're going to run out of time real quick. 
So Cambry writes, we are in the midst of the longest, saddest, most excruciating and unsatisfying I told you so in the history of the world. And Cambry also writes, raise your hand if you want to see Hunter Biden testify for 30 plus hours before a Senate Intelligence Committee, just like Donald Trump Jr. did, had to do over the Russian collusion hoax. Chris Saliza writes, the disconnect between Fox News and other cable uh, is striking. Fox currently doing a long segment on Smollett trial, other networks doing COVID coverage. So basically one of the two people that was supposed to beat Smollett up admitted Smollett asked them to beat them up. It was kind of, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's open and shut this case. So this is crazy. This account was posting Hunter Biden pictures, the scarf one, and uh, had their account almost completely replaced with this Twitter warning. So basically Twitter is out there protecting Hunter. I told you that um, earlier, a week, you know, months ago, months ago, when I was getting banned on Facebook left and right, I only got banned. I looked back and I saw that the times I actually got banned it was about a Hunter Biden article. They are protecting Hunter like there's no tomorrow is what I'm trying to say. So Chris Clark writes, Chrissy Clark writes, a source just confirmed that the Florida School Board Association voted unanimously to leave the National School Board Association. How do you like that? I wish more, more, uh, state school board associations would leave the national school school board uh, and leave it toothless. So the Bradford file writes the only positive thing left Kevin from Kevin McCarthy could uh, offer uh, the GOP is the resi- his resignation, basically allowing these spending bills to pass through the House the way he has without a fight. Uh, and, you know, his alliance, allegiance with the big tech and, you know, his friendships with Frank Luntz and things like that uh, are just telling. Plus, we already know from his actions. Uh, he was he was all set to uh, support Liz Cheney. But then it backfired uh, because of these two special elections uh, that happened that proved that Trump's coattails were alive and kicking. And that basically that they were outgunned by the Trump train and they changed really fast. And that was a really important uh, scenario that happened there. Um, But in any case, Kevin McCarthy knows that it's either the Trump train or bust. And that's why you see all these politicians, whether it's Tim Scott or um, a whole host of politicians, politicians that have basically come out and said if trump runs i'm not running basically trump trump's going to get whatever he wants he's going to be treated like the incumbent as he deserves to be if anyone ever deserves to have another crack at the bite at the apple crack at the bat it's donald trump because he's sacrificed more than anybody i know for the good of our country uh, and that's something I would take to the bank a hundred times over. Uh, the only part, oh, so Britt writes, hey, you guys, remember the time uh, a dude ran over 60 people at a parade and it's just, uh, it just got memory hold? 
So no one's talking about, you know, Waukesha uh, in Wisconsin. They buried that story. And it's a shame. It's a shame uh, because that was a basically a, a, a true racist story, a black supremacist story, a story that should have been told and the media buried it because it didn't fit their narrative. And so they're, they're going to expect us to take them seriously the next time Jesse, another Jesse Smollett creates another hoax trying to call all Trump supporters racist. Or the next time you have an election, like in McAuliffe's case, where they had these Democrat operatives uh, holding tiki torches and trying to insinuate that they're conservative white supremacists. I've never met a, met a white supremacist. The only white supremacists I've ever heard of in politics were Democrats. And that's the case. Uh, Robert Byrd, George Wallace, you know, all these people were Democrats. They wrote the uh, Jim Crow laws, as I've been mentioning all week. And I repeat these things for a reason, because in radio we get all kinds of different listeners on all kinds of different days, all throughout the different hour, the different segments of the hour. And I want want to make sure people hear this stuff. So Chuck Luster writes, breaking report, CNBC host uh, Jim Cramer demands Joe Biden impose universal vaccine mandate enforced by mil- the military. How in the world can that be, right? How in the world can that be? Jim Jim Cramer, of all people, he used to be like that roll-up-your-sleeves, man-of-the-people, investor uh, analyst. Not anymore. So Chuck Cluster writes, breaking report, a Sandiero brother testifies on the stand that Jesse asked Jesse Smollett asked the two brothers to get into the Mercedes where he asked them to fake beat him. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up. This is a Democrat for you, right? A week after a new variant was oh, found in Africa. Yeah, that that's the cat turd one. Um, California already has testing for it. So it was a twist. So uh, New York City Chief Medical Examiner resigned the day the Ghislaine, Maxwell, and Epstein trial started. This was the lady who was supposed to determine the cause of Epstein's death. So she doesn't have to testify, maybe? You know, I'm not so sure. So now we're up to the point where we can listen to a Sotomayor. Uh, it's a two-minute clip. We're going to go ahead and play that right now. Okay. Said we're just- Take a listen here. So this is Sotomayor says the sponsors of the Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban said, we're doing it because we have new justices. She asks, will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception? Public perception? What does that have to do with the Constitution? And And is she insinuating that justices can't be fair and balanced because of their political persuasion? Because that's been denied by several other justices. We all know the truth, though, don't we? Let's take a listen. Now, um, the sponsors of this bill, the House bill in Mississippi, said we're doing it because we have new justices. The newest ban that Mississippi has put in place, the six-week ban, the Senate sponsor said we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution 
and its reading are just political acts. I, I, I don't see how it is possible. It's what Casey talked about when it talked about watershed decisions. Some of them, Brown versus Board of Education it mentioned, and this one have such an entrenched set of expectations in our society that this is what the court decided, this is what we will follow, that, the, that we won't be able to survive if people believe that everything, including New York versus Sullivan, um, I could name any other set of rights, including the Second Amendment, by the way, there are many political people who believe the court erred in um, seeing this as a personal right as, the, as opposed to a militia right. If people actually believe that it's all political, how will we survive? How will the court survive? Uh, Justice Sotomayor, I, I think the concern about appearing political makes it absolutely imperative that the court reach a decision well-grounded in the Constitution in text, structure, history, and tradition, and that carefully goes through the stare decisis factors Casey as we've laid out. That. No, it didn't. Casey Honor, went through every one of them. You think it did it wrong. That's your belief. I actually go with the guy who was speaking there, one of the litigators, uh, because, you know, what he said was exactly what Sotomayor needs a lesson in, um, frankly. Uh, and... Uh, after Sotomayor suggests that overruling Roe would imperil the precedents protecting contraception and gay rights, Barrett asked if the court could overrule Roe in a way that preserves those precedents. Sounds like a she's preemptively saying Roe is dead, but those are safe. So let's take a listen. This is another short clip. Let's take a look um, would a decision in your favor call any of the questions, uh, any of the cases, sorry, that Justice Sotomayor is identifying into question? Uh, no, Your Honor. I, I think for a couple reasons. Um, first of all, I think the vast run of those cases, and you, some mentioned from time to time, are thinking you know, Griswold, Lawrence, o Obergefell. These are, these are cases that draw clear rules. Can't ban contraception, can't ban intimate romantic relationships between consenting adults, can't ban marriage of people of the same sex. Clear rules that have engendered uh, strong reliance interests um, and that have not produced negative consequences or all the many other uh, negative stare decisis considerations we pointed out, Your Honor. Also, I, I'd add, none of them involve um, the purposeful termination of a human life. So those two, those two features, stare decisis and termination of a human life, Your Honor, um, puts all of those safely out of reach if the court overrules here. Um, would, uh... So that's interesting. And then, you know, like I say, the person who posted these audio clips, which are excellent, um, is a li probably a liberal. He works for Slate. He's a D.C. journalist. And he says this. So he writes this with, a, I think, a liberal slant. And he says, Barrett and Kavanaugh's softball questions to the Mississippi Solicitor General who was just speaking, uh, suggests to me that both of them are prepared to overrule Roe v. Wade while saying, one, other presidents, same-sex marriage, contraception are safe, and two, the court won't mandate abortion bans, which is kind of interesting uh, when, you, when you think about that. Um, so let's take a listen to what Kavanaugh had to say. 
I want to be uh, clear about what you're arguing and not arguing. Um, And to be clear, you're not arguing that the court somehow has the authority to itself uh, prohibit abortion or that this court has the authority to order the states to prohibit abortion, as I understand it, correct? Correct, Your Honor. As I understand it, you're arguing that the Constitution is silent and therefore neutral on the question of abortion. In other words, that the Constitution is neither pro-life nor pro-choice on the question of abortion, but leaves the issue for the people of the states or perhaps Congress to resolve in the democratic process. Is that accurate? Right. We're saying it's left to the people, Your Honor. And so for the uh, — if you were to prevail um, — the states, uh, majority of states, or states still could or and presumably would continue to freely allow abortion. Many states, some states, would be able to do that even if you prevail on, under your view. Is that correct? That's consistent with our view, Your Honor. It's, it's one that um, allows all interests to have full voice, and, and many of the abortions we see in certain states that I don't think anybody would think would be moving to change their laws in a more restrictive direction. All right, and then here's a really powerful clip from Amy Coney Barrett. Let's see if we can get this in. So petitioner points out that in all 50 states, you can terminate parental rights by relinquishing a child after abortion, and I think the shortest period might have been 48 hours, if I'm remembering the data correctly. So it it seems to me, seen in that light, both Roe and Casey emphasize the burdens of parenting. And insofar as you and many of your amici focus on the ways in which the forced parenting, forced motherhood, would hinder women's access to the workplace and to equal opportunities. It's also focused on the consequences of parenting and the obligations of motherhood that flow from pregnancy. Why don't the safe haven laws take care of that problem? It seems to me that it focuses the burden much more narrowly. There is, without question, an infringement on bodily autonomy, you know, which we have in other contexts like vaccines. Um, however, it doesn't seem to me to follow that pregnancy and then parenthood are all part of the same burden. And so it seems to me that the choice more focused would be between, say, the ability to get an abortion at 23 weeks or the state requiring the woman to go 15, 16 weeks more and then terminate parental rights at the conclusion. Why, why didn't you address the safe haven laws and why don't they matter? Well, and we're, we're going to the question, uh, according to this liberal journalist, says it's basically game over for Roe. She, she says, now that all 50 states have a safe haven law that let women relinquish parental rights after birth, the burdens of parenthood discussed in Roe and Casey are irrelevant. So that might be good news right there. Good tea leaf. In any case, we are at the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out scottadamshow.com. Uh, for the latest podcast. That's how you can get our podcast and search for Scott Adams Show on any of the platforms for podcasts. And uh, you can hear us anytime you want. And uh, also, be sure to check out buglecall.org and magapack.org and find out the latest on what we're doing over there with our 501c3 nonprofit organizations. All right. uh, With that, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on the but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, I 